Well, it's a blessing to be with you this morning. Um, if I didn't introduce myself earlier, I'm Ken and Vaughn. Uh, privilege of being one of the pastors and elders here at Harvest. And uh, this morning we are going to continue in our uh, series in John. And uh, last week was, um, well, it, it ended up being kind of a part one of a part two message. So uh, if, if you weren't here last week, I'll try to give a little runway going in. And if you were, we're going to just basically pick up where we left off. And, and so on that note, I realize most of you just sat down, but if you didn't get your squats in this morning, um, go ahead and uh, if you can stand with me for the reading of God's word. This is out of John chapter 15, verse 26 through 1611. It's the very words of Christ. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will, pull, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I do, did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I, told, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. This is the word of God for the people of God. The people of God said, praise be to God. You may be seated. Father, again, we, we enter your presence. We uh, enter this time in your word. We ask you to search our hearts. We'd ask that the Holy Spirit do the very work of ministry that we see in the, in the scripture today, that he would take your word, impress it upon our hearts and minds, testify to the truth of Christ, enliven our hearts to the gospel, stir our affections for Christ, continue to carve away the rottenness of our fleshliness, and continue to create in us the newness of Christ and his righteousness. God, may we be a people that would shine the light of the gospel lovingly and sincerely and authentically in a crooked and depraved culture. And God, I pray that as I speak, I would decrease, you must increase. That's the very ministry of the Holy Spirit. So we just ask and invite the Holy Spirit into this place to magnify you, Lord Jesus, in the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we were talking last week, and we're still talking about the idea that Jesus says, which is not a mere idea, it's a fact, the world's going to hate you. Now, who is you? It's us. It's anyone who's sincerely a Christ follower, anyone who has traded your life for the life of Christ, who first gave his life for ours. Uh, anyone who... Um, not just climbing. In our culture, it's, you're not going to get any trouble. You're not going to ruffle any feathers if you say you're a Christian. But if you truly identify with Jesus, if you truly submit your life to the substance and truth of his word, if you're committed to following him, uh, if you're committed to his commandments, if you're committed to sharing the gospel and standing unashamed on the truth, you're definitely going to get some blowback. And uh, Jesus is saying here, the world's going to hate you. That, that sounds, first uh, glance, discouraging. But really, it's meant to be an encouragement. Jesus is saying that's going to happen. And when it does, I don't want you to think that, uh, oh my gosh, where's the Lord? He said, I'm telling you right now so that when that hour comes, you won't fall away. In other words, 
if that happens, if you're persecuted for standing on the word of God, if you're persecuting for sharing the truth in love about the, the exclusive nature of the cross, if you're persecuted for declaring your allegiances to Christ above all else, for any reason such that you're persecuted, don't fall away. He's saying, I'm telling you this to know that's going to come. Stand firm. Be encouraged. I'm sending you the helper for that very reason. In other words, there's encouragement to be taken. You're on the right track. Now, I said it last week, say it again, probably say it a couple times, this does not give Christians the right to be obnoxious, to be inhospitable, to be rude, um, to be judgmental, pharisaical, to be hypocritical. We're, we're not out there uh, holier than thou, looking down on our nose at a world in sin. My goodness, that's the opposite of a Christian who's had the gospel radically change our lives, we're re we, we are the ones who recognize our sinfulness and brokenness and have empathy and compassion to those who are just as we once were before Christ illumined us, converted us, saved us, and is in process of sanctifying us. So we don't lord a level of holiness over them. We know our good deeds are as filthy rags. Our boast is in Christ alone. So we ought to be loving, Christ-like. I mean, the ministry of Christ, he's our example. Uh, uh, he was not crucified uh, for a pharisaical nature. He called out the Pharisees just as he called out the fornicators. He was crucified for being truthful, for having a message that says you must repent to enter the kingdom of God. And he gave that message in a world not just full of sin, but full of sinners, full of people who love their sin. Thereby meaning they, they uh, hate God, they, a, a world that... Uh, is after the idols of power and money and sex and, and, and views people for what they accomplish and not who they are. And, and uh, a world just full of every kind of malice and slander and gossip and uh, immorality and evil. And his message is repent. And men who are uh, in rebellion against God and they're left up to themselves in their flesh don't want to hear it. They, they, don't, they hate that message. They don't like the light to be shined on the darkness of their hearts. And men who are self-righteous that think they've graduated from that message. How dare you tell me here I am already living a good quote-unquote life is whatever standard they determine good by, I guess the, based on the evil around them, and they are thinking they're above that. They reject the message of the gospel. And so they turn over Jesus to be crucified, and the rebels crucify him, and it's the, it's the older brother and the younger brother that hates the message of the gospel. And Jesus said, they hated me. You stand on the truth, they're going to hate you. All right, so, so this is kind of where we are, uh, understanding that it, 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 Jesus is saying if someone doesn't know they're sick or if they're unwilling to admit it, they can't really be helped. If they don't know they're lost or unwilling to admit it, they can't really be found. I, I want to be honest with you, growing up, I'm 42, growing up in 20, 20th and 21st century America, um, in American culture, I, I wouldn't really have understood this text in terms of um, uh, tangible experience. My experience has not been, for the most part, being hated because of the gospel. And, uh, and I think we're in the moment of a real cultural shift, which is a sad one. But uh, growing up, uh, for me, uh, again, again let, me, let me just back up and say, uh, still today, if all you're doing is saying, um, I believe God loves us, no problem. If you're saying, I believe Jesus died on the cross for us, no problem. If you're identifying as a Christian, no real problem. Um, but if you're going to say, I think this is the infallible word of God, I uh, surrender my life to the Lord and his teachings, and um, uh, whatever this word says will trump whatever culture says as truth, 
and the gospel and its exclusive nature is that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, the way to be reconciled to a holy God in our sin by the provision of God and the judgment of God will fall on those who reject it. Now you're in hot water. If you're gonna talk about men as children of the devil whose good deeds are as filthy rags before God, the culture will censure you pretty quick. So you can't really believe and say what the word of God says. You can just kind of throw out some generalities. Well, growing up, it was okay to believe wholly in the word of God, at least my experience. It was okay. Uh, the, the word of God was generally appreciated, accepted, and even celebrated. It was kind of held up as a standard for a culture. That's just my experience growing up. That, that I, I read these words and thought, huh, I'm trying to envision what it was like for the apostles in Jesus' day or in uh, you know, uh, movements of the gospel in Africa or Asia. But, but in here, I thought, we, we don't really experience this. Now, in the last 20 years, as I've watched and from my young adulthood until today, uh, I'm noticing something. And you'd be hard-pressed to miss it. And that's that now it's okay to believe some of or most of God's word, except those parts that our culture is in the process of rethinking and rejecting. And so now it's encouraged to be open-minded to certain things that the Bible calls sin that our culture celebrates. The idea that our culture is progressing, the idea is that our culture is progressing from this archaic system of biblical values to a more modern progressive uh, 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 value system where tolerance trumps truth, where tolerance is our highest value above God's word is inerrant and truthful. And so what's happening is you have the word of God and, and, and what it commands and, and says is true and you have our culture and what it values. And whereas it used to be that the word of God was allowed in our country to uh, interpret culture and declare what was true, now culture interprets the Bible and declares what we ought to tolerate. Okay, so this shift is, in, I mean, and I mean, there's been other times of American history and certainly church history by far, but, but in my lifetime, I'm watching this shift happen. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a sad shift, it's a hard shift, and, 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 and it brings into question many things. Uh, and, and if it doesn't, you know, I, I think one of our deepest prayers needs to be in way of kind of a Daniel prayer that God will bring a national revival, even through the pandemic. Even through all the calls for uh, justice and, and, uh, and, and the tearing down of racism, that God would go deeper and bring us to our knees over our sin, our brokenness, our idolatry, our immorality, our tearing down of God's standards for man's value system, and uh, in the embracing of a secular, humanistic worldview over a biblical worldview. And if there's not a national revival that we, I hope, are praying for and begging God to do, then where this is going, the trajectory of where our nation is going, is certainly to the place that very soon the word of God will be wholly rejected. It's outdated. So, as society openly embraces lifestyle, ideology, worldview that the Bible clearly states as upside down or as evil, as sinful. I talked about certain issues last week. I talked about marriage and gender and sexuality. I talked about abortion. I talked about even truth itself and absolute truth versus just truth being whatever you make of it. Your truth, my truth, and no absolute truth. And the more the anti-biblical uh, view is accepted on these issues, the more the anti-biblical view becomes not just tolerated or accepted, but even celebrated, the more I'm reminded of a, of a Romans 1 a sort of reality happening in our, right before our very eyes. And if you're not familiar with Romans 1, it's a harrowing text. In the back half of Romans 1, God says, men will, and this is part of the world, this is the darkness, men will suppress truth. 
mean, you've ever been swimming in the deep end of a pool and trying to lay on top of a beach ball? You know, and it's tough. You're rolling around. It keeps wanting to pop out. Truth is, is, truth is truth. It finds its way. It pierces darkness. But men will try to suppress it. They will keep it down to hear what their itching ears want to hear, to live the uh, lives to, um, to, so that the immorality they want to live in can be embraced, whatever it is. They'll suppress truth. God says there's a certain point where men, where a culture will suppress truth to the point that God will allow his wrath to be displayed on that culture. He, and he shall do it. He said he'll turn them over to themselves. It's really, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's what we would never want for ourselves or even our worst enemy, that God would turn us over to ourselves, to our evil, fleshly, carnal ways. And it says, and he goes on to say, what does that look like? That looks like men and women trading natural relationships with the opposite sex for same-sex relationships and reveling in it. It says at this point there'll be all kind of fornication, all kind of evil and gossip, malice and slander. It says men will be creators of evil and God will be wholly rejected. His word will be wholly rejected. And the passage finishes, the last verse in Romans 1 says, men will know it's wrong, but as a culture, they won't only accept it, they will give approval of it. They'll celebrate it. And I'm just, as a cultural exegete, I'm just looking out there going, golly, we are not far from this slippery slope to Romans 1, where God says, okay, give you over to yourself in the celebration of all kinds of evil. And, uh, and it's, it's, a, um, it's a slippery slope, it's one that's heartbreaking that we are to pray against, that we are to be uh, willing to believe God's word, to uphold God's word, to live out God's word. Um, again, not as hypocrites, not as judgmental. Jesus said, the world will know you by your love. One reason we're inconveniencing ourselves in worship right now is because if anything, we'd love to be known for our love. We're not, we're not trying to um, uh, uh, do anything but adhere to God's word, love him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, love others in his name, not deny what we know to be true, um, not be ashamed of what we know to be true, not be afraid to share, and as the bullets fly, don't be surprised. Okay, so here, here's where the text comes in today, but verse 26. Now, here's the good news. When the helper comes, now, Jesus is going to talk momentarily. When he goes, the helper will come. We see this at Pentecost, Acts 2. When the helper comes, whom I'll send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the third person of the Trinity. Watch this. Who proceeds from the Father, he. That word, that pronoun in the, in the Greek is actually a, a neutral form. It actually should be it. But it's translated he. This is bad grammar, good theology. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. He is the third person of the triune Godhead. One God in three persons. That's what scripture declares. And we understand and believe. He will bear witness about me. Now this is the entire ministry of the Holy Spirit summed up in a few words. The Holy Spirit comes bearing witness. He's testifying. He's declaring what is unequivocally true, irrevocably true about Christ and the gospel. For men to receive or reject. And the Holy Spirit has the unique power to bear the truth before men in a way that uh, breaks up the callousness of their heart and sinks the seeds of transformation deeply and begins a new work of creating a new man, of, of, of a man being born again. The Holy Spirit has this as his ministry, which is an unbelievable ministry, a ministry we can't do without. 
a ministry that we're forever grateful for in our own lives, that is the desperate need of our culture, a movement of the Holy Spirit. And watch this, and you also will bear witness to the Holy Spirit. That, now, God can do this apart from man. He does this through dreams and through visions. He saves people in a myriad of ways. But here's the distinct plan of God. It's not going to be just that the Holy Spirit comes and does this work apart from us. You too, you and I, we will bear witness to the truth of Christ and to the gospel. We'll bear witness because we've been with him from the beginning, because of who Christ is, what he's done in our life. We'll bear witness. Here's the good news of the text. We will let it fly. We will open our mouths and declare the truth of who God is, of that which is declared to be good in his word, whether culture embraces it or rejects it. We'll be unashamed. We'll be sincere. We'll be authentic. We'll be loving. We won't be judgmental. We won't be haughty. We'll be humble. But we'll share what's true in Scripture and as we do, as we, as we just have a sense of faithful boldness, the ministry of the Holy Spirit takes those words which have to match a lifestyle for them to have integrity. And as they, as they hit the airwaves, the Holy Spirit begins to take them and impress them into the minds and in the hearts of men and women who were blind. And he brings forth light into the dark places in their life, and the light pushes out darkness, and he brings forth salvation. He saves men through the testimony of the saints who have not soiled their own clothes. All right, this is awesome. By the way, this is the most exciting thing that any of us are involved in. In my head when I preach this, I picture everyone standing and shouting on their chairs. I'm just teasing. Um, I know better. But this, listen, there, there's, there's nothing more exciting than this reality going on in your life or mine. Not as a Christ follower. There, there's no possible promotion at work or, you know, house we hope to buy or sell or kids all-star game. There, there's nothing in this world more exciting than the fact that Christ has called us to bear his name so that the world might have a tangible expression of the love of Christ and declare his truth. And then this, you ain't alone. I'm gonna give the very spirit of God to gird you up in those moments of fear that you stand unashamed and that when the gospel goes forth, to push back darkness, to bring forth and establish my kingdom on this earth, that even the gates of hell will not prevail against the mission of God seen and displayed through the church. And he's called us into this, this is our purpose. This is our life. This is what Monday through Saturday we are excited about. What are you most excited about this week? I hope there's a myriad of things that are exciting you this week. That would be glorious, but I hope nothing is more exciting than the Great Commission. From tomorrow to Saturday, and we come in here and we refuel the tanks and we sharpen and edify and we sit under God's word and we remember and refresh and are edified and then we hit it. This is it. God says, look, you're gonna be running uphill both ways in the snow. The world's gonna hate you. They're gonna hate this message. Men don't like repentance, not, not lost men, not a culture full of them. It's gonna be evil, it's gonna be insidious. It's gonna be, it's gonna be filled with persecution. Here's the deal, you're not alone. There's no greater calling. You testify, the Holy Spirit goes to work. You're participating in the incredible kingdom expansion of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is it. I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. The Lord Jesus is concerned that we'd become discouraged. He's concerned that we would compromise, that we would compromise in the face of something. That's, that's a very natural concern because that's the tendency of man. I don't like it when people don't like me. 
Uh, I don't like it when they say all kinds of evil against me. And by the way, sometimes I'm the cause of that. And that deserves my own confession and repentance. But I'm a people pleaser at heart. Uh, Jesus is said, Kenan, there, man, you ain't going to be able to please man and God on this one. But just know that I'm with you. Just know that when the persecution comes, don't fall away. I'm telling you this so when it happens, you won't shrink back. You won't love your life so much as to shrink away from the truth of the gospel. Don't fall away. They'll put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, by the way, one more thing on the, on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is so comforting for me. I've shared this before. I'm not naturally an evangelist. I'm more, I'm more naturally uh, teacher-oriented and shepherd-oriented in terms of gifting. I'm just, I'm just, there, there's gifted evangelists. I've got two buddies that when they say Jesus, people just fall prostrate before the Lord. It's unbelievable. Uh, that's, that's, not been, that's not been the case with me. Uh, I get those butterflies in my stomach if I know there's an opportunity to speak truth or if I hear guys um, speaking what is, uh, the Bible declares is, is wrong uh, or, or reveling in it, a chance to you know, represent the gospel or uh, even a chance to confess sin or seek reconciliation with a brother or, or a chance to just preach the gospel to somebody's lost. And all those times, I get those pregame butterflies. Like you're, about to, you're in the tunnel Friday night and you just you need to take that first hit and get it going. That's how I feel. But the ministry of the Holy Spirit, oh, it's so comforting. This is why Jesus is going to tell them, this will be better for you, which they would be like, no, there ain't no way that's the right. But it is. It multiplies the ministry to the ambassadors of Christ who are us. And, and in those moments, like, not only does he empower us to stand, but uh, uh, when we do our part, again, it's the, it's the, the, the spirit goes into the mysterious work of calling men to repentance. It's the efficacious calling of God through his Holy Spirit, that those he calls will come. And um, I've shared this before. It's, it's like a, a man standing on a cliff, but he's in a dense fog. He can't see the edge. He doesn't know. And you're above it, and you see it, and you're calling, you're shouting to him. Get away, he's dancing and having to get, get away from the edge. You're about to tumble to your death. And the man hears you and just thinks, fool, until a wind blows and the fog clears. And he goes, whoa! And he goes back. He says, hey! I thought you were a fool. You were the only one willing to speak truth in my life. The world that hates you now loves you. That wind is the work of the Holy Spirit. That wind is the wind of the Holy Spirit that pulls back the fog, that gives men the ability to see what they could not formally see, and then to, to receive Christ by grace through faith. Um, some people would say that the idea that the Holy Spirit's got to do the work, that uh, from everything we know in our understanding of Scripture and the doctrine of election and the efficacious calling of men by the Holy Spirit, some men would say that hinders or hampers or dampens evangelism. I would say my experience is the complete opposite. It's what pushes me into action. It's what gives me great hope. It's what gives me confidence. It's what gives me excitement. If I thought it was merely up to me to give an eloquent presentation of the gospel in just the right way, at just the right time, to just the right guy, I'd live in fear, I'd know I'm always taking this, but I just have this sense of steeled will that I can just, just open up and faithfully share. I can be raw and authentic, I can mess it up and stumble and bumble, and that's enough. The Holy Spirit takes that testimony, he begins to drive the stake of repentance into a man's heart. And it's exciting. And there's nothing more exciting. And we see from the book of Acts forward, 
when Peter says the promise is for you and your children. Promise of the Holy Spirit. And, and for those who are far off, as many as God would call unto himself. This is our joy. Well, 16, he's going to go on to say, they'll put you, put you out of the synagogues. This, of course, happened to the apostles first century. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And again, the world will think it's doing some great and noble task by censuring the people of God. I told you this is insidious. And just to, just to harp again on some of these issues, and by the way, I'm not using certain issues because they're uh, politically associated with one party. I, I just want to be careful with that. I'm sensitive to that. The gospel's not housed in one American political party. Please understand that. Okay? But there are, scripts, there are issues that I've brought up, and I think we need to be unashamed of, that the scripture speaks to. And, and just, to, just understand the insidious nature of the, of the enemy, of the one who controls the airwaves of the world. We've got to be able to uh, uh, have wisdom when we approach these things. Wise as serpents, innocent as doves. The idea of abortion is the idea that um, uh, legally there's the right to end the life of an unborn child in the name of women's health. That's insidious. There's the idea with um, marriage and, and gender and sexuality that, that you can define that as you wish. There's a freedom for that in the name of uh, human rights and civil rights. And, and, and they're pitted against the two. Like, well, do you not believe in women's health? Do you not believe in civil rights? And, and we have to be wise in the church to say, no, no, wait a minute. What we believe in is the word of God. Again, the word of God interprets culture, not the other way around. So the, these aren't pitted against one another. And we, we are all for women's health and civil rights and human rights. We should be leading the way, championing these causes. But not at the expense of truth in alignment with what is true. And so we have to be careful that we don't hear what the, the media, in our, which, is, which is a world-controlled media, I don't care what station you're watching, okay, there's agenda, there's political agenda that's, that's, that's uh, at the forefront of the narratives being given us, and we have to filter through this and determine what's truly good and what's truly godly and what's truly holy and what's truly healthy for our fellow man, for our own lives, for our culture, but the word of God is our guide. We will be censured by a worldly culture. It's happened since the beginning. They'll think they're doing a service to God to shut up the Bible-believing Christians in the name of tolerance, uh, in the name of unity, whatever it may be. And they'll do these things because they've not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Again, the temptation is to think, boy, did, did, they ever, did this ever happen to them? My goodness. The 11 hearing this, Judas has already been dismissed to betray the Lord. The 11 hearing this as they walk through the Mount of Olives, 10, 11 are going to be martyred. John's going to be boiled alive and exiled. I mean, the hour's coming. They're going to feel the wrath. And those who are killing them will be saying they're doing it in the name of offering service to God. And again, it's easy to go, man, that was a word you know, for them, but is it a really word for us? Do you know this? I, I couldn't believe this. I just, I saw this this week. Some of y'all are probably two steps ahead of me. I was looking at martyrdom in, in the church age from 33 AD till today. Do you know that, that there's been roughly 70 million people martyred for their faith from thir since 33 AD to today? Now get this. More than two-thirds of those, some 45 to 50 million, have been martyred between 1900 and today. Two-thirds of those martyred in all of church history have been martyred in the last 
120 years. Are, she, are these words relevant today? My goodness, this is not merely a text for the 11 apostles. They will be killing, the world will kill Christians in its effort to silence the truth, deny the truth, justify their own rebelliousness towards God. And they'll do it in the name of service to God. He says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me where are you going, but because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. He's saying, this is sad to you, but don't be sad. I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. Again, if I'm staying there, I'm saying, no, it's not. And he's saying, if I don't go away, the helper does not come to you. Again, the, the miracle working power of Jesus to speak forth life into the dead now is in you and I. It multiplied to those 11. Now, not, not, and we're not the incarnated presence of God on earth. Don't, don't misinterpret what I'm saying theologically. But the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God in spirit, lives in us. And so the, the miracle working power of God is alive in and through our testimony, which has, which has, which has uh, an experience to it, which people experience us, and, has, and we give weight to in our words. We give clarity to in our words. And he says this, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And watch this, I love this part. And when he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Um, let me share this uh, illustration. If some of y'all are familiar with the Band of Brothers, the uh, documentary a couple years ago uh, on Easy Company, they were a, a, um, a World War II uh, 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 battalion, I'm not sure what the right word is, they, 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 uh, they flew in the paratroopers. Uh, uh, and, and, and the way they had to do it was they had to fly extremely low. I found this fascinating because they didn't want to drop these guys off high in the sky where they could be uh, targeted and shot down. So for, the, for their protection, they'd go in low, which left the plane very susceptible to the uh, enemy fire. And they also had to go really slow so that they could have a safe... Uh, uh, evacuation of the paratrooper, and they, they flew in at 600 feet, and that's, that's about exactly how long it takes the parachute to perform its function properly so that thing would open just before they hit the ground. So the, the, uh, the pilots who flew in had to fly low and slow right through the midst of enemy fire in order to deliver the goods, so to say. Now, I was thinking about this in, in the ministry that we have, what we're called to do in a, in a world that hates us, that hates the gospel. Our ministry is to fly low and slow in the midst of enemy fire and, and, and drop off the goods, drop off that's what's true. And in and, and, and that group, Easy Company, there, there wasn't this, well, hey, wait a minute, we're going to get shot. The obvious answer was, no kidding, that's your mission. If you make it out, praise God. That would be icing on the cake. Not exactly planning on that happening for everyone, but here is the mission. This is our mission. Wait a minute. We're going to get persecuted. Some of us are going to die. What's the response? Yeah, that's why I'm telling you this. We're not to be a panicky bunch when the world hates the gospel and therefore there's enemy fire. That's not supposed to freak us out. I told you this so you won't fall away. You with me? Here's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Here's what you're delivering. You fly low, slow. You deliver the goods. Here's what happens. The, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Let me just finish with this. 
convict the world of sin. Man in his lostness. Man unaware of his need. Man empty and unfulfilled, searching, reveling, trying to find some sense of who he is apart from who God is. And the Holy Spirit does a work, which you and I can't do, but I'm thankful that it's his ministry and not mine. I'm thankful he does the heavy lifting. The Holy Spirit turns a light on that we can't get to in a man's heart, and it's a light that reveals the darkness. It's a man becoming aware of his nastiness, whereas before he thought he was a pretty good guy, or before it was all in the name of a business deal, or this is just what people do, or it was a, uh, you know, it's just a, a hobby or a habit. All of a sudden, he sees evil as evil. And all of a sudden, he sees it's not just a misdeed or a word. All of a sudden, he sees its tentacles are all the way down in him. That if he's really honest, even the things he does that are good and noble things, he actually realizes he's doing those good and noble things so that somebody will think he's good and noble. And then he realizes, as he's never seen before, that that's actually pride. And he starts to see himself. He sees a reflection. He gets downwind of himself. And he starts to be understanding, aware, of his spiritual bankruptcy before God. And for the first time ever, there's clarity and there's brokenness. And by the way, no man can be converted apart from this. God be lost before you, you're found. And the Holy Spirit makes you aware of the darkness that resides in you. He makes you aware of yourself. By the way, I'm telling you your testimony I hope that if this has not been your experience yet, then I don't know how there's new birth. There's no new birth apart from an understanding of your brokenness, rebelliousness, wretchedness, and evil. This is where it begins. So the Holy Spirit convicts, which is to convince man of his need. And then stop. Here's man now lost, now broken, now humbled for the first time. Now aware of his desperate condition before God. And then the Holy Spirit convicts man of righteousness. Now that is for the first time in many men's life. That's not a pointing at the law. That's not a, point, a, a, a pointing at a higher standard which a, which a man must adhere to by pulling himself up according to his bootstraps. That's a pointing solely to Christ. There's only one who is righteous. And it's Jesus, the Son of God. The living God himself, only Christ, the Holy Spirit, makes sure you understand there's wretched brokenness and need, and there's Christ. There's not religiosity, there's not a higher rung of morality, there's not some new age mystical escape route, there's not self-help, there's Jesus. There's one who was uh, above the law, that's the end of the law, that's the fulfillment of the law. There's righteousness apart from the law, Romans 3, revealed to us in the incarnation of God and man. There's Christ. So a man sees himself for the first time, and then he sees Jesus for the first time. And now he's convicted of his sin, and now he's convicted of righteousness, and now he can see clearly that Jesus was not just a better version of himself. Jesus was not just who he hopes he can be if he can clean up his act. He sees wretchedness and righteousness, finally. And now the only problem is this chasm that exists in between. And how does the righteousness of Christ become mine? How can I be saved? And now the Holy Spirit goes to work. 
and he pushes the darkness out even further, and he convicts man of judgment. And man, for the first time, now sees his own brokenness, Christ's righteousness, and then he sees the cross. And then he sees the bridge. Then he sees that which is the answer to man's depravity before God. He sees the answer of God's demonstration of love to man. He sees a cross, and it's reinterpreted by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's no longer just the death of a good man. It's now the substitute atonement, righteous for the unrighteous. It's the Son of God, crown of thorns, that is the curse of man, wearing it. And it's me seeing the cross and recognizing he is where I ought to be. And there's conviction over brokenness, there's conviction of righteousness, and there's conviction of judgment. This isn't the judgment of Christ any longer, merely this is the judgment of evil. This is the judgment of sin. This is the judgment, he said, of the enemy. Christ's death is my victory. He convicts me of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now all of a sudden I realize when Jesus says, it is finished, that he won for me. He earned for me something on the cross that I can never earn for myself. And what's the resurrection? It's a declaration of that victory that was won on the cross. And so the gospel, the Holy Spirit reinterprets the cross not Jesus' death, it's my life. Reminded of Narnia when, when the, the, the white witch kills Aslan. You remember on the, on the stone table? And she thought she put an end to Aslan and everything that he stands for. And the movement would die with him. And darkness covers the earth. And then there's the ensuing battle. And while she's fighting the people of God who are, who are uh, despondent and, and hopeless because the king is dead, where is he? He's breathing life into those stone statues who had died in faithful service to him, and they're coming back to life. And then he's leading them to the battlefield where he steps upon the stone and he roars in victory. And the white witch shudders, and in that moment she says, how could it be? Realizing that when she killed Aslan, all she did was make a path to life for everyone else who has trusted in him. The Holy Spirit, he takes the testimony of your life, he takes the testimony of your words, and he convicts men of their sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And we're not meant to shrink back from that. We're meant to fly low and slow in the midst of enemy fire and deliver the goods and let the Holy Spirit push forth the light in darkness. Father, I pray that we would be faithful. Our calling is beyond anything that we can do or accomplish apart from your Holy Spirit. And so we just invite more of you, less of us. Fill us with the empowerment that is promised. You said, Lord Jesus, it's good for us for you to go, and we'll trust you. And it's good because your Holy Spirit, the helper, comes and abides in us, resides in us, goes forth in us and through us. So God, let us be wise unto the times we're in. Let us be unashamed of the gospel through which you have delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of your beloved son. 
Lord, I pray that you would be our treasure, like the man who finds the treasure in the field and sells everything he has to buy that field. That we would lay our lives down. The world can hate. We're not going to return hate for hate. We're not going to return evil for evil. That we would stay the course. That we would endure whatever suffering we must. That the gospel go forth and that the testimony, the testifying of the Holy Spirit and the people of God make known your glory and your name to the ends of the earth. That's our prayer. That's our heart. Let us be faithful, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.